Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. America, Mark Levin here, choking, our number, 877-381-3811, you're not supposed to open up a truck and see stacks of bodies in there, said Chief William McManus at a press conference. Stacks of bodies. 51 migrants died in the back of a tractor trailer in San Antonio. And there were others in there who'd been taken to a hospital. They were suffocating in there who were conscious. They were found weak and they would have died as well. And they were hot to the touch, said the fire chief, Charles Hood, suffering from heat-related injuries like heat exhaustion and heat stroke. This is a mass death. There were no signs of water or working air conditioner in the truck. Authorities said it's not clear how long the group was in the truck before they were found. Mix of men and women, varied age. Um, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, look. If you don't have an organized, managed system of immigration, this is what happens. The drug cartels, criminal gangs, mobsters... They're trafficking people. They're trafficking in people. And people are dying. 
How many people have, in fact, how many people have, in fact, died crossing this border since Biden was pres- president? How many? How many in the deserts? We don't get that number. We don't get that information. This is anarchy. Yet 20 emergency vehicles responded to the scene. And you know, this is only the tip of the iceberg about what's going on on the southern border. It's the tip of the iceberg. So they're there packed in an 18-wheeler like sardines. They die one on top of the other. You can imagine the hell. You can imagine the hell. The stench. The heat. The vomiting. The dysentery. And people could hear screams coming from this truck. Screams coming from this truck. Hood said first responders were now being debriefed to help them process what they witnessed. What they witnessed. Authorities had received a call approximately 5.50 p.m. local time from a worker who had heard cries for help, found the trailer with its doors partially open. The worker found a number of dead bodies in the trailer. Three people were in custody, though he noted the authorities aren't certain they're connected to the situation. It's not under federal investigation. This will come and this will pass. Nobody will be thinking about it or talking about it in three or four days. The border will remain hellish. People will continue to die. They will continue to transfer people to all parts of the country and release them on their own recognizance. As the numbers add up, as the deaths add up, as the increase in crime in various communities adds up, this is what's going on on the southern border. Oh, I bet you thought I would lead off with January 6th committee hearing. No, I'll get to that. Plenty of time. We have more guests than normal. We have Lee Zeldin at 6.20 a.m. We have Cash Patel at, at 7.05 I meant p.m. Cash Patel at 7.05 And Christy Nome at 8.20. WABC will be leaving this program at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. But you can hear us on the podcast and live streaming on the Mark Levin app if you download it. To cover local elections. Even though the polls don't close till 9 p.m., do they, Mr. Producer? Okay, well, they're, they're very excited, so they can't wait. That's fine. There are alternative ways to listen to this program. Now, that said, I do want to get into this issue of this testimony today. The airwaves are filled with leftists, so-called news people, and former federal prosecutors who are having a field day. What is truth? An individual testified today... Cass Hutchison. And she's testified many times before this committee in secret. 
But this last time, they wanted her to go public. Her testimony has become more aggressive. The answer is, it's become more aggressive because her prior attorney was associated with the Trump people, and her current attorney is associated with former Attorney General Jeff Sessions, so there's no connection there. I don't know what that means. When you give testimony, it doesn't matter who your lawyer is. You give testimony under oath, under penalty of perjury, whether it's in the back rooms of the January 6th committee or whether it's in a public hearing. So that doesn't make sense to me. Why all of a sudden this emergency? We've got to listen to her. And then they say, well, her life has been threatened. That's possible, but how does that affect getting her testimony out immediately and not waiting till July or not having it earlier? All of a sudden we have new evidence from an individual who apparently witnessed and heard everything. Trump, Pence, Meadows, White House lawyers, Republican members of Congress. Even in some cases where she wasn't an eyewitness, they wanted her testimony, utter hearsay. Like about what took place in the president's car. She heard somebody say something. You know, uh, the number of accusations against Donald Trump from day one are so numerous, I can't keep track of them. The number of crimes he supposedly committed are so numerous, I can't keep track of them. The number of tax violations he supposedly committed, the constitutional provisions he violated, like the emoluments clause... Has not everything in the kitchen sink been thrown at this man? There have been witnesses under oath. There have been witnesses not under oath. There have been former lawyers. There have been disbarred lawyers. There have been politicians. There have been close associates who ceased being close associates. He was accused of letting Putin assassinate American soldiers. Remember that one? Liz Cheney bought off on that one big time. Then we have the Russia collusion with the bed and the urine and the, and the prostitutes, all a lie. And it goes on and on and on and on, and it's never stopped. We have our next witness, who's not cross-examined by anybody. I'm not saying she's a liar. What do I know? What does anybody know? But how are the American people to make sense of this? Just because reporters reinterpret it with emphasis, just because former federal prosecutors are acting just like the people on this committee. I mean, I've got a lot of questions to ask here. A lot. But we're going to wait. We're going to wait a little while, and I'll get to those. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. 
Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Primus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Primus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Remember, America, especially New York, you can hear this program in the third hour on our podcast, on live streaming, on satellite radio, on the Mark Levin app, on the iHeartRadio app, as we cover what's taking place. We have with us Lee Zeldin, who is seeking the Republican nomination for governor of New York. Today's the last day. Today's the big day. The polls close at 9 p.m. Eastern time, and... I feel it's very, very important that the Republicans win in the state of New York. And I also feel that Lee Zeldin is the one candidate who can do it. Lee Zeldin, how are you, sir? Uh, it's great to be with you, Mark. And yeah, polls close in less than three hours. So it's so important for all Republicans to actually get out there and vote. Uh, we're pushing hard and uh, we're feeling good, but we definitely need everyone to show up. We definitely need everyone to show up. What do you tell people who are sitting in traffic right now, uh, which many New Yorkers are, about the importance of this primary? If we want to win in November against the Democrats and Kathy Hochul, we have to win by as much as possible right now. We need everyone participating. I view the right to vote as not just a right. I view it as an obligation, a duty. You're sitting there in traffic. Maybe you're thinking about the high gas prices that you're paying or inflation. You're thinking about a lack of competency right now in government. You're seeing an infiltration inside of schools and inside politics that you disagree with. Uh, maybe you want to feel safe again on your streets and in your homes. You want your freedoms to be preserved. Right now in New York State, we have one-party Democrat rule, supermajority assembly and Senate, outsized power by people who self-describe as socialists. Give them more power, and New York is going to experience rock bottom. They're, they're giving us a taste of it now, and it's not good. So if you want to start safely extracting natural gas and approving new pipeline applications, if you want to fire rogue liberal district attorneys like Alvin Bragg, like I do and repeal cashless bail, if you want to fight for your First Amendment and Second Amendment rights and have people in charge in government who actually feel like the people should be in charge of the government as opposed to the other way around, well, you have to get out and vote. I'm all in. We need everybody everywhere all in in order for us to actually win this race. Now, you uh, are a combat veteran. You, uh, you served in the New York Assembly. Uh, you serve as a congressman now, and you're prepared to give up what is a relatively safe seat to make this run for governor. Why did you decide to do that? This is true. I do believe that I would get reelected this November, and I also believe that the House of Representatives is going to flip this November. I see the state of New York right now, and it's an important state, not just for the people who live here, but for the region and the country. We want New York to be strong. It's the financial capital of the world. We have politicians getting elected in New York who are going into positions of power in Washington, D.C., whether it's committee chairs, it's you, know, you have a majority leader in Chuck Schumer, you have 
the fringe left gaining power, people like AOC and their friends. There are real impacts here if we don't do everything we possibly can to make the max impact. I believe that public service is about serving the public. It's not about being served by the public. We have a governor right now in over her head. She's not up to this job. She used to be an A-rated NRA-endorsed member of Congress, but now all of a sudden she's trying to make the state with the strictest gun control laws even stricter. I say when we you know, need to repeal Castle's bail, she says we need to see more data. I say let's fire district attorneys like Alvin Bragg. She says cut him some slack. He just got there. He's doing his job. Uh, when I got into this race, I was getting into this race against Andrew Cuomo. He then resigned shortly after I announced that I was running against him. But in a way, I felt like it was a calling I had to make this run for New York. And I also believe in this race. I am not in this to come in second. I am all in. Losing is not an option for everyone everywhere across this country. As we battle for the heart and soul of our country and our communities, for us everywhere, losing is not an option. And you got into this race quite early uh, for the Republican nomination, and then others jumped in. Why do you think these others jumped in all of a sudden? I think they well, saw you know, weakness. Some got in. But the governor? Yeah, I, I got in. I got in 19 months to the day before the election started, and then others started to get in. Some got in at waiting until after Andrew Cuomo had gotten out of the race. I got into this race when I knew that we were taking on this three-term incumbent governor. I mean, we knew exactly what we were getting ourselves into. We also realized you had to start early in order to build the support and to raise money. We've, we've gotten the endorsements, not just at, from the New York State Republican Party and Conservative Party. I'm endorsed by the NRA, endorsed by the New York State Right to Life. I am proud to be supported by the great one, Mark Levin, and, and other great conservatives in our country like Jim Jordan and Rick Grinnell and, and others. So you know, there are a lot of people who realize the stakes here, but in order to put together the coalition, the plan, in order to get to all 62 counties over and over and over again, I knew I had to start early. I had to work hard, take nothing for granted. And that's why we got in 19 months to the day before the election. And this is it. People have till uh, 9 p.m. in uh, New York to vote. It is now about 6.30 p.m. If people are in their cars or their trucks or they're at home enjoying dinner and saying, I don't have to vote, well, now's the time to make a difference. We talk about it on this program all the time from one end of the country to the other. You need a very strong Republican nominee if you're going to have a shot at winning this governorship. And I believe it's you, Lee Zeldin, and I wish you all the best. You take care of yourself. Thank you, Mark. Take care. All right, folks. We'll be right back. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever. And it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, Reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today 
at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin, making conservatism great again. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Now, as most of you know, several years ago, the candidate I supported for the Republican nomination for President of the United States was Ted Cruz. I've known Ted for decades. And we also supported him when he was not expected to win the Republican nomination for the Senate in the state of Texas. And we rallied a lot of people behind him. And he won that. And he almost won the nomination. He almost won the nomination in 2016. And then after the Republican convention... I endorsed Donald Trump, who I was planning to endorse before the nomination, because it was pretty obvious at that point that he was going to win. But nonetheless, I waited. He gave a speech in Gettysburg also that was fantastic, that really outlined his conservative agenda and promises, which pretty much served as the basis in many respects, for his presidency, should he win. And he carried through on everything he could possibly carry through on. I've become one of the biggest defenders of President Trump, not because I agree with everything he says or does or so forth and so on, but because I do not like Marxism, I do not like fascism, I do not like the Democrat Party, I do not like the media, and I do not like what these people are doing, these self-appointed elitists in the establishment. I don't like how they're using the rule of law, how they're using criminal statutes, how they use the impeachment clause, special prosecutors, to try and defeat their opponent. To me, this is even bigger than Donald Trump. It's what kind of country do we want to live in? Because these various forces, these various entities have enormous power. They're controlling your classrooms. They're controlling what your kids learn. Much of it is really horrendous. They're controlling what's happening in our economy. They're controlling movement from a capitalist system to a economic socialist system to a Marxist cultural system. They refuse to secure the sovereignty of this nation. They refuse to embrace our history. They refuse to embrace the Declaration and the Constitution. This is the battle. This has always been my battle here, as far as I'm concerned. And so when we have a committee set up in Congress that's of a like we've never seen in the history of the Congress, where every member of that committee is appointed by a particularly evil Speaker of the House. They have to pass her litmus test. Every one of them. Where the minority party has no representation in that the minority party had no appointment authority. 
It's the first time we've ever seen this. And then predictably, with the invisible hand of Nancy Pelosi covering up her failures on January 6th, the two Republicans who most hate their target, Donald Trump, and seven of the most radical Democrats from Schiff to Raskin to Thompson and the rest, they're given free reign and endless budget. Federal prosecutors, subpoena power to do as they wish without any checks and balances. I object. I am repulsed by this. Period. And then the American media who have demonstrated who they are, their ideology, the fact that they lie repeatedly, the fact that they have built in biases and ideologies, and that they're going to promote them no matter what, either by omission and censorship or by commission. I reject this kind of propaganda. And so, in many ways, it's, in my view, left to me to explain what's going on with this committee, what's going on with Trump, as more and more people are increasingly frightened to speak out. What are you, a, uh, a sycophant for Trump? What are you, you have no integrity? What? No, it's quite the opposite. Everything I'm saying is about integrity, the integrity of the system. The very people who've been trashing the Supreme Court, the very people who want to destroy the third branch of government, the very people who want to destroy separation of powers, the very people who want to criminalize politics, the very people who don't say squat about a potential assassination effort against a Supreme Court justice, who they character assassinated already, and yet sit on this committee. We looked. They've said nothing about this. The very people who basically celebrated the riots of the summer of 2020, who called law enforcement stormtroopers, they're now in charge of again investigating Trump. How many false charges have there been made against Trump? Can you even count them? Can you even count them? How many false charges have been made by the Democrats or regurgitated by never Trumpers, regurgitated by the media? And not just once or twice, and not just over a period of a day or two, scores of times, over a period of years. Over a period of years. Allegation after allegation after allegation of the most heinous kind. That Donald Trump disrespected the dead at Normandy. No, he didn't. That Donald Trump winked at Vladimir Putin and basically said and did nothing about the assassination of American troops in the field. It was a lie. A complete lie. And it went on and on and on. That Donald Trump doesn't pay his taxes. That's been going on for years. Despite endless investigations by different jurisdictions. 
that Donald Trump was making money off his hotel in Washington in violation of the Constitution's Emoluments Clause. Even a judge in Washington had to throw that out. It was so ridiculous. And now they're trying to piece together a case, a criminal case, that Donald Trump is criminally culpable for seditious conspiracy. Wow, seditious conspiracy. Now we know that's true because Peter Baker of the New York Times, the Holocaust-denying New York Times, cites Saul Weisenberg, who's, uh, I guess his fame to claim, or claim to fame, is that he was a former deputy, as were others, under Ken Starr when he was independent counsel. They used to hate those guys, now they like them. They used to hate Bill Barr, but now they like him. You get the point. And so you have a New York Times phony rep- reporter quoting Weisenberg. There isn't any question this establishes a prima facie case for his criminal culpability on seditious conspiracy charges. This is Saul Weisenberg, a former federal prosecutor. You hear that sentence? There isn't any question that this establishes a prima facie case for his criminal culpability, not even a charge, his culpability in the seditious conspiracy charges. That's it. Saul has spoken. Not Solomon. Saul has spoken. So that's news for the New York Times. It's news. And today we had explosive, dramatic testimony from Cass Hutchison, somebody I never heard of before, but she's very important. Shocking new evidence from a person who apparently witnessed everything. Trump, Pence, Meadows, White House lawyers, Republican members of Congress. And if she wasn't an eyewitness, she heard everything from other people. And the committee finally... After four tries of getting sworn testimony from her, finally she came forward with all the information because she changed lawyers, she says. Her prior lawyers were kind of Trump supporters, but her current lawyer was chief of staff to former attorney general. uh, What's his name from Alabama? I can't even remember. Yeah, Sessions. Uh, You're supposed to give sworn testimony fulsome and accurate, regardless of who your lawyer is. So that seemed like quite an excuse. And we got to get her testimony out today in an emergency hearing in front of the public. Why? Because of threats against her. Now, if there's threats against her, those people need to be prosecuted. Unlike the threats against Supreme Court justices, apparently. But that said, that has nothing to do with getting her testimony out today. Nothing. But they finally found the witness. And every single thing she said went unchallenged. Everything. And here we have former federal prosecutors. Lawyers with bar licenses. Talking about Quote, there isn't any question this establishes a prima facie case for his criminal culpability on seditious conspiracy charges. 
You know, Saul Weisenberg, I used to have respect for you. Not anymore. That's one of the biggest dumbass comments I've ever heard under these circumstances. Under these circumstances. And as I said, she provided testimony earlier, several different occasions. But now she has a new lawyer. And this is why she felt she could say more. Or some would say embellish. And we get that phrase again from the media. If true, if true, if true. And one thing she said was more fantastic than the next. More fantastic than the next. No wonder they wanted an emergency hearing. According to her subpoena, Hutchison was not only at the White House on January 6th, but she'd been with Trump during his speech at the Stop and Steal rally on the eclipse, where he urged his supporters to fight like hell. I'm reading this from a news account at AOL. Before promising to march with them to the Capitol. So he urged them to do more than that. Didn't he say, be peaceful and patriotic, Mr. Producer? So why would they leave this out of a news story? The story goes on. Under her former boss, who was Mark Meadows, he refused to cooperate with House investigators. Hutchison has appeared before the committee on four separate occasions, so today was the fifth. Since the beginning of this year, in fact, following her most recent deposition in May... A source reportedly told CNN that Hutchison believes she's being forced to testify due to Meadows' refusal to comply with his own subpoena. The same source, that's a committee member, said at the time that Hutchison would likely make another appearance before the committee, possibly during the public hearing. So five appearances. And earlier on, she felt forced. In other words, put upon because they're relentless, put upon, but not anymore. Now she's a hero. Article says later, there are quotes from Hutchison's March 7 deposition, in which he told investigators, I know that there were concerns brought forward to Mr. Meadows, and I know that people have brought information forward to him that had indicated that there could be violence on the 6th, but again, I'm not sure if he, what he did with the information. Later on, it goes on. Another key line of inquiry for the select committee has been what exactly the president was doing while an angry mob, the supporters, violently ransacked the Capitol on why it took 187 minutes before National Guard troops and additional police were sent to the Capitol to stop them. First of all, those guardsmen have to be requested. Secondly, there hasn't been one bit of testimony or anybody reading from the monitor in the pre-fed script that Donald Trump offered the National Guard which is why I'm having our friend Cash Patel on this program in 15 minutes because he was eyewitness to that and they haven't played his deposition where he says that and if in fact they knew that it was going to be violent which is a big part of her testimony today. Why didn't they accept the National Guard on Capitol Hill? If the executive branch knew it, and the executive branch offered National Guard, then Nancy Pelosi had to know, Congress had to know, and they wouldn't accept 
additional National Guardsmen or even additional cops. Doesn't that seem like a logical follow-up with Ms. Hutchison and the committee? I'll be right back. Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Breaking news from NBC. Quote, A source close to the Secret Service tells me both Bobby Engel, the lead agent, and the presidential limousine SUV driver, that's two Secret Service agents, are prepared to testify under oath that neither man was assaulted and that Mr. Trump never lunged for the steering wheel. I had said earlier in this program, and I said to somebody who's a friend of mine, quite frankly on Fox, a reporter, this is hearsay, this is not firsthand. And the individual said to me, well, are you saying she's lying? I'm saying, I'm saying... There's a reason this committee did not call these Secret Service agents to testify, but instead called Hutchison. This is exactly why. you got to have enough guts to stand up. Forget about this Saul Weisenheimer, whatever the hell his name is, and these other phony legal analysts. You've got to have two sides. You have got to have two sides. These agents weren't called for a reason. Because their testimony wouldn't fit the narrative. The reason why Cash Patel hasn't been called up so far is because he was chief of staff to the acting secretary of defense when the Trump administration offered 20,000 National Guardsmen. So you have Hutchison saying that there were threats, that it was going to be dangerous, that Mark Meadows knew it, that others knew it. And this is on January 6th. So my question is, okay, if they knew it, then Pelosi knew it. So why didn't she accept the National Guardsmen? That's the rational follow-up if you don't have a committee that's completely in the tank for Nancy Pelosi. You don't take hearsay testimony like this. To repeat, quote, A source close to the Secret Service tells me both Bobby Engel, the lead agent, and the presidential limousine SUV driver are prepared to testify under oath that neither man was assaulted and that Mr. Trump never lunged for the steering wheel. Now imagine being Donald Trump, the 4,000th accusation made against this man that's a lie. He's got to listen to this. 
He goes onto his own site because Twitter banned him. True social. He fights back against this woman and what she said. And they start attacking him again. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. I'll be on Hannity, 9.35 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, This is a three-hour program. We'll be monitoring what happens in New York. WABC will be going local. So you can listen to this program online, Mark Levin app, iHeartRadio app in New York and the environs and so forth. Uh, We will continue to be broadcasting. And uh, we'll keep a close eye on the Republican nomination. As you know, I've endo- have endorsed Lee Zeldin because I think he can actually win the governorship. It's a big deal. Cash Patel worked for Devin Nunes. Cash Patel was chief of staff to the acting secretary of defense. And Cash Patel is a good man. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Mark. Thanks so much for having me back on the show. I want to be very specific very specific did or did not president trump and or his administration offer national guardsmen to nancy pelosi and her people before january 6th unequivocally yes january 4th in the oval office i was there with the commander-in-chief the secretary of defense the chairman of joint chiefs of staff and the chief of staff of the president of the united states where the president unequivocally authorized up to twenty thousand national guards men and women on january 4th immediately thereafter as chief of staff of the department of defense we executed that authorization and went to nancy pelosi and the capitol police and mayor bowser and they all said no and mayor bowser put it in writing and the united states capitol police timeline that was just released shows that they declined and put it in writing mm-hmm. do we know why the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, declined the president's offer for National Guardsmen. And how many did he offer? The president offered up to 20,000. And the way the law works, as you know, Mark, is the president can authorize the National Guard, but the second component of the law is there must be a request by a federal agency or a governor, in this case, mayor of D.C. And Nancy Pelosi controls the federal Capitol Police, and therefore they reported to her. And why they did not want it, I would leave it to the political experts. I'm a national security guy, but they, they seem to be uh, worried about the optics, just like they were worried about the optics of Lafayette Square, though there was the hypocrisy in their way. And they also could have put up a, a no-climb fence around the Capitol. They failed to do that, and they failed to have federal law enforcement there surrounding the Capitol, such as the FBI and DHS. They failed to do a great many things that would have been very simple to do. I'm asking these questions because of the testimony today. Cass Hutchison, was she in that mm-hmm. meeting with your group, with the President of the United States, when the President of the United States decided to offer up to 20,000 guardsmen f- to protect the Capitol building? 
Yeah, I mean, not to, not to be glib about it, Mark, but, you know, junior staffers who sit uh, far away from the Oval Office and have nothing to do with the national security of the United States are nowhere near those meetings. And rightfully so, the Oval Office is a skiff to secure compartment and information facility where we were discussing with the president some of the most national, sensitive national security operations unrelated, obviously, to January 6th. That's why I remember that meeting so vividly, because the Department of Defense under President Trump did not stop our no-fail mission, and we continued on that morning. But let me be clear. She was not in that meeting, correct? No one else was in that meeting other than the five people I listed, except for maybe um, one other person coming in and out. <clears throat> but not her. Now, not her. She, was not- she testified that Mark Meadows had received some intel of the potential dangers on Capitol Hill, that some of these people might well be armed. Wouldn't it be rational to conclude that if the executive branch had that information it would have been shared with or perhaps came from capitol hill the capitol police and so forth the fbi and others well what we've learned is from the biden dod inspector general investigation of the dod's conduct leading up to january 6th where they found themselves, the Biden Inspector General, that we did not delay and we acted appropriately and swiftly in relation to the National Guard. It also found that the FBI had sensitive intelligence that they selectively shared with Chuck Schumer and not with the other intel agencies and law enforcement community writ large. So those are questions Chris Ray can only answer as to why he failed to do that. And any information we received, of course, we acted upon. But, of course, President Trump proactively, preemptively said, just in case I'm giving you the authorization because that's what the law requires. And so you can use it not just in Washington, but anywhere across America. Let's go ask the governors if they need it. Now, Cass Hutchison said today that President Trump knew that people or many people among his supporters, the protesters, were armed. But he didn't care. (laughs) He wanted them to be let in because something to the effect that they weren't armed to hurt him. Have you heard anything uh, like this from anybody? Of course not. And, of course, this is a direct, what we call directed examination from the unselect committee. No one's allowed to ask actual questions of what you're asking. Were you in the room? Did you witness this? Is this three levels of hearsay from something you read about? Right. After you were not given the job you wanted after the administration, now you're seeking a vendetta? And who did you hear this from? And what intelligence did you have access to? Cassidy Hutchinson did not have access to the presidential daily briefing, which I helped curate when I was deputy director of national intelligence, and which I received as chief of staff of DOD. She was nowhere near that intelligence. The president was the most uh, uh, voracious uh, acquirer of of intelligence that I'd ever seen, and he made his decisions based on that. That's why he, of his own volition, authorized the National Guard. He knew to act based on any intelligence he saw fit to secure not just the capital, but any state capital across the country. Isn't this really the biggest problem? This committee, the media, this U.S. attorney in Washington, D.C., this attorney general who went after parents, isn't this their biggest problem? That is, you have the president of the United States authorizing up to 20,000 National Guardsmen two days before January 6th. It's turned down by the Democrats on Capitol Hill. So why would he be urging an insurrection by the Proud Boys of the Oath Keepers at the same time he's offering 20,000 armed soldiers to protect the building? Can you make sense of that? 
Can I take it one step further if I can, Mark? So it's a factual and legal impossibility. The commander, when I was DOD chief of staff, I was in charge of, by law, the presidential transition, which can only be authorized by the commander-in-chief. And in November, the president of the United States authorized and ordered the Department of Defense to transition to the Biden administration. We conducted the largest DOD transition in U.S. history. That could not have occurred if the commander-in-chief was leading a quote-unquote insurrection or military coup. He had ordered our transition. So this committee, which I was subpoenaed by first out of any American and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars telling them what I'm telling you, they want nothing to do with the facts. They couldn't care less about the, the, the truth that you and I are talking about today. And they wanted to know more about President Trump's personal preferences in Afghanistan, Somalia, and Syria than they did about January 6th or the memorandums from DOD that I supplied them uh, that are the truth. They want nothing to do with them. Let us be clear, Kash Patel, you were telling me in addition to offering the National Guardsmen 48 hours before January 6th, you're telling me that the President of the United States had authorized in November the Department of Defense to prepare for a transition of power. Did you testify to those two? Hold on now, hold on. Did you testify to those two facts to this committee when you were subpoenaed? Uh, you know, with, I did my testimony in December. It seems like something I would have said because it's not new. I also entered, I know I did this, I wrote an, uh, a, an article for foxnews.com about the presidential transition and what we just discussed. And I entered that as an exhibit into evidence before this committee. Um, they could not care less about that. I remember that. And I talked to, I tried to talk to them about how it would not be possible for an insurrection to have occurred but uh, they, they did not want to go down that path. And, of course, as you know, they control the time and the gavels there. So they were aware from the article that the Department of yeah. Defense had a transition going on ordered by President Trump. They were aware of the National Guardsmen. Did you tell them that? Absolutely, 100%. And I entered it all into evidence. And when I went back, finally, I've been asking for my transcript to be released to the public. Of course, they won't do that. They let me read it just two weeks ago for the first time since December. And I asked them where the exhibits were, that, including this article in the DOD timeline and the DOD response, and why wasn't it in the record as we entered it? And they said, oh, it was, a, it was an error. We forgot to do so. So they clearly don't want to do anything regarding the truth. They want to politicize it. So if information came out that the president, and you sedated this under oath, and apparently you're not the only one, offered up to 20,000 National Guardsmen two days before January 6th. And information mm -hmm. came out <clears throat> that the President of the United States in November authorized the Department of Defense to transition to the Biden presidency. An insurrection is an impossibility. That's correct. I think you're the first one to put that out on the airwaves. I'm, I'm glad you're covering it. I'm just asking basic questions. That's how I was raised, you know, as an attorney, as a litigator to some extent, and so forth and so on. That's what you learn. That's why you need two sides to everything, right? Now, I'm going to read you're something to you, right. Cash Patel. Yeah. The no, testimony no, you're did, right. I'm a former yeah. public defender and federal Say that again. I'm a former public defender and federal prosecutor. You're right. You have to have both sides. This committee does not. Cass Hutchison testified today that she heard from a Secret Service agent talking to the counsel to the president 
that the president of the United States wanted to join the mob when the violence was occurring, that he was in the so-called beast, his vehicle, that the driver, the Secret Service agent, the presidential driver, said absolutely not, that Trump put his hand on the wheel. She was very explicit in detail. That the driver asked him to remove his hand and put his hand on Trump's arm and then arm and then Trump went for the driver's throat with his other hand. NBC has released the following statement, quote, and by the way, I had spoken to a friend of mine at Fox and said that can't be accurate because if the agents did that, they'd have the agents testifying, not her. Quote, a source close to the Secret Service tells me both Bobby Engel, the lead Secret Service agent, and the presidential limousine SUV driver are prepared to testify under oath that neither man was assaulted and that Mr. Trump never lunged for the steering wheel. Now, how hard would it have been for this committee to ask these two Secret Service agents what actually occurred? Cash Patel. It would have been it would have been easy. I know Bobby Engel. I served with him. He's a great American, great former Marine. And not to mention the fact that how would this Cassidy Hutchinson know anything about the inside? And I was just about to post this on Truth Social of the beast of the presidential limousine. I've been in it. I know she hasn't. It's a factual impossibility for him to have reached and lunged anywhere because of the barricades that are set up to protect the president when he's in that limousine. Furthermore, as you said, Bobby Engel, you know, should he have to get into this mess and testify? I know what he would testify to because I, I served with him on Air Force One in the limousine with the president and so forth. And this is just fake news at its best because the, the, the Democrats have found a witness, as you said, to provide a one-sided story. And no one's asking basic questions like you're asking. She just has, doesn't have the facts, but she has politics on her side. And I'm guessing a job at CNN coming in the future. This is her fifth appearance before this committee. And earlier, according to a news report, she felt like they were wearing her down. She didn't put it that way, but pretty close. Is that what this committee is all about? How many federal prosecutors? I hear there's 11 former federal prosecutors, two former U.S. attorneys on this committee. Doesn't that reveal what they're really up about, trying to lay a predicate for a politicized U.S. attorney in Washington, D.C., and a politicized attorney general in the Department of Justice? I can speak from my experience. The first subpoena under this committee was issued to me. I learned about it at, in the evening because the Washington Post called me, not because they told me or called me or asked me to come in and testify, which I told them I would have done because I feel it's my duty to do so and make sure the American public have the truth, like you and I are talking about. They didn't care. They spent six hours interrogating me. The January 6th committee spent one hour on January 6th and five hours on Afghanistan, Somalia, Syria, Iraq, the border, President Trump's hobbies, and any other conversations I might have had with President Trump. These federal, so-called federal prosecutors, when I was federal prosecutors with them at DOJ, only cared about a one-sided political story. They did not care about a constitutional oversight investigation at Congress the way we ran it, the way I ran it when I ran the Russiagate investigation with Devin Nunes. There weren't our two sides. There was just a political tale. They don't care about the truth. And you and I are both experienced. I was chief of staff to Attorney General Meese. I represented him in Iran-Contra. And as bad as that independent counsel was, it's nothing like this committee. This committee is violating people's rights left and right. They are purposely lying to the American people about the events that occurred. It seems to me it is the lawyers on this committee who should be reviewed for possible ethics complaints and disbarment because they are lying. For instance, lying by omission. Your testimony 
whether it's attached in the form of an article. They could have called you back and asked you about that article, but they didn't want to. Or whether it's about the National Guard, and there's probably other witnesses that have given other information, exculpatory information that gives the lie to all this. Cash Patel, can you hold on for a moment, please? Of course. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest. I was nervous at first, thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. It's a very short segment, so I've asked Kash Patel to join us after the bottom of the hour. He's former chief of staff to the acting secretary of defense. He's been a federal prosecutor, been a federal defender, been a staffer to uh, Devin Nunes. And you heard what he said. I was asking him questions that have never been asked of him. And not by this committee, because this committee doesn't want honest answers. This is the biggest sham imaginable. And today, today, the media and the phony legal analysts, and the phony journalists, well, they figured they had him, you see, like Saul Weisenheimer, or whatever his name is. Oh, this is definitely, you know, seditious conspiracy. He should know better than this. What the hell is wrong with these people? Folks, hold on. We'll be right back with the former chief of staff to the acting secretary of defense. I'll be right back. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest. I was nervous at first, thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Mark Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. We're back with Cash Patel, by the way, who has a wonderful children's book out, The Plot Against the King, The Plot Against the King. You know, on Amazon.com, we have it on all of our social sites. 
Uh, Mr. Producer, let's make sure we do that. I believe we have. So, Cash Patel, what we know now and what the committee has not revealed is that you stated under oath that, in fact, 20, up to 20,000 guardsmen were offered to the mayor of Washington, D.C., to Pelosi and her Capitol Police. They were not accepted. And uh, that was on January 4th, 48 hours before what took place on January 6th. We still don't really know why Pelosi chose not to, because that apparently is not the subject to this committee. 1,000 witnesses, but apparently 1,001 is too many. You've also indicated during this program that Cass Hutchison, who was the quote-unquote star witness today, was not in the Oval Office meeting when President Trump did in fact uh, offer the troops and tell his people to carry that out. Uh, That's number two. And number three, while she was chief of staff to the chief of staff, you and I both know she was not in senior staff in all these meetings when Trump in the decision-making process. So when Donald Trump tweeted today and said he barely even knew who this woman was, that's accurate too, isn't it? That's all accurate. That's a great summary. I wish America would just read those three points and then they would put to bed the January 6th on select committee. Um, They could easily have all, and by the way, Everything I testified about, the Secretary of Defense has testified multiple times under oath to multiple committees, uh, the former Secretary of Defense, Chris Miller. And we also know this, uh, Mark, uh, Chairman Milley was in that meeting. That man has proven himself to be a political animal like no other in Washington, D.C. If what I said and what President Trump said and what Secretary Miller said was untrue, Chairman Milley would have found a way to lie about it, to leak about it. And also he testified to the January 6th committee under oath. If he had said anything that disproved the truth Mm -hmm. that you and I are talking about, that would have leaked overnight or would have been presented by Cheney and company. And you know it's not because they don't have it because it's a lie. I just want the American people to know what a cover-up and smear job this is. This is why they don't want an opposition. This is why they're not releasing transcripts. This is why uh, these two crucial points... You said without Donald Trump agreeing in November, there couldn't have been a DOD transition set in place that you were in charge of, correct? That's absolutely right. So what kind of a president would lead an insurrection against a Capitol building, you know, with a wink and a nod and using certain words and all the rest of it, plotting with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and all the rest, while he sits down with you and the people in the room, the Secretary of Defense, the head of the Joint Chiefs, you give him information, he authorizes the use of the National Guard, it doesn't add up, and it can't add up. And you're right, it's an impossibility. Let's pursue a few other areas here, if you don't mind, which is this. They do not mention that Donald Trump's rhetoric on that day doesn't even come close to what Chuck Schumer's rhetoric was, when he was targeting Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and the likely links and consequences of that violent rhetoric. They have not mentioned, they say, Trump waited 187 minutes until he put out a statement to, for people to stand down. 187 minutes. Nancy Pelosi hasn't in weeks time, weeks, denounced the likely assassination attempt on Kavanaugh. And in fact, every one of these Democrat Party leaders are urging on their mob 
In many cases, they're violent mob. They haven't told him to stand down. The Senate in the state of Arizona was locked into their offices. They couldn't get out. The cops had to come. They had to use, you know, force in order to protect them. And I can go on in different parts of this country all over the place. And you do not hear, you do not hear Pelosi. You do not hear Schumer. You do not hear AOC. You do not hear any of the reporters, Chuck Todd or any of the other, telling people to stand down. In fact, they say it's been mostly peaceful again. What do you make of that? Well, as a former prosecutor, DOJ, national security guy, this is just the two standards of justice that the American people are sick and tired of. The, the, the cast of characters you listed, plus I'll go one more, Maxine Waters, literally went to the steps of the United States Capitol after the Roe decision, um, and said, after the Dobbs decision, and literally said, we need to march on, march on the chiefs of the, the Supreme Court justices and anyone that stands in the way, and then defy a valid constitutional order from the Supreme Court of the United States. That is insurrection. But this DOJ is so politicized, and I'm so ashamed to have ever been a part of it with the way it's carrying on now. Amen. And that's what takes everyone off. You've got 40 people in custody detained from January 6th who are over the age of 60 with no criminal record. But anyone who questions January 6th on the other side of the aisle gets regaled as a hero even when they break the law. You worked on Capitol Hill. Have you ever seen... A committee like this, I know you've never seen a committee like this, but have you ever seen a committee call out colleagues in Congress, uh, one-sided, all Republicans? Have you ever seen a committee conduct itself this way because they're doing the, the dirty work of Nancy Pelosi? I've never seen anything like this. No, and look, I was the chief investigator for, I would argue, one of the most consequential investigations in U.S. history, the Russiagate investigation, when Devin Nunes was chairman. And we had, of course, Adam Schiff on the other side. And even with him and his crew on the other side, <clears throat> that at least that investigation was able to uncover the truth because it was truly bipartisan and the Republicans cared about the truth. And that's the difference. They, even then, they wouldn't <laughs> personally attack members of Congress. But this committee doesn't care about that. They don't care about what happens to citizens or likewise. They don't care about my safety or how much money it costs me and how many death threats I've received thanks to their subpoena. By the way, no one's ever covered that. I was called vicious and nasty things, sent direct mail to my home and asked to be beheaded and butchered and sent to Gitmo. But they don't care about that. Mm -hmm. Liz Cheney, what do you make of her? She bought into this, this lie that Donald Trump had... Uh, done nothing when Putin was assassinating American soldiers on the battlefield. It was a flat-out lie. She promoted it. She's always hated Donald Trump because of his, his approach to foreign policy is quite different than her father's and hers, don't you think? Well, it's warmongering versus peace. And look, I was deputy director of national intelligence. I gave the president, along with Rick Grinnell, the briefing on the Russia soldier quote-unquote bounty gate issue. There was no issue because there's no intelligence to support it. But, of course, the deep state are leaked false classified information and allowed the likes of Liz Cheney to trumpet it. And then you know what happened. A year later, um, the media came out and said, oh, actually, that information that Liz Cheney already was saying is totally false. And it received the last line of some correction and some looney tune outfit. But we could have easily leaked classified information to fix the narrative. That's just not what we did. And President Trump acted on the intelligence appropriately then and always. I was in the room with him when he killed Baghdadi and brought home American hostages. I've seen this man maybe more than anyone 
execute actual actionable intelligence lawfully and appropriately, and I haven't seen him do otherwise. Why do you think they haven't asked you to testify at a public hearing? I'm not trying to encourage it. I know it's a pain in the ass, but still, you would push back. (laughs) I'll represent you for free. I'll represent you for free. I'll take it. But I don't think they want that. They want Hollywood to come in and put on a, a showcase. Uh, that's that's the, the Democrat narrative, be it Russiagate, Ukraine impeachment, impeachment two, bounty gate, January 6th. They, they can't handle the truth. Then they rely on the mainstream media to carry their lies. And when the mainstream media can't carry their lies, they refute it with irre- irrevocable truth. They bring in Hollywood to to make a bonanza out of it so that they can get their cheap political talking points. And that's what you saw on display today with Cassidy Hutchinson. All right. And they called an emergency hearing so the whole world would hear. This is her fifth or sixth time testifying in front of this committee. They really did wear her down, didn't they? I think they did. And that's what happens to look, she, you know, and it's not a personal attack on her. She's what? Barely 25 has no money. This stuff costs a fortune. And I'm sure as, as, as Donald Trump pointed out on true social, a new set of attorneys recently swooped into her defense. And now she finds herself on the front stage. I don't think that's a coincidence. Somebody should be asking how many of these attorneys worked for or with the, the likes of Cheney and Benny Thompson and Adam Schiff. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if it was another basically fusion GPS style operation, but um, that's for another day. And I, I can't they thank say, you enough. They say, all right, tell me about your book. Go ahead. No, it's, uh, I wrote, it's, it's Russiagate for kids. I thought that it would be fun to educate our children on the truth without making it political. So we said it in medieval times with Hillary Clinton and Keeper Comey and the Shifty Knight and a dude named Devin and whose quest we went on for truth. And we want our children to be taught the truth about our history and not about critical race theory. So we wrote The Plot Against the King, and it's at theplotagainsttheking.com. Thanks so much. It's the number one children's book in the country, and Amazon and Google are already trying to shut it down. <laughs> the Plot Against the King, ladies and gentlemen. It's up there on our various social sites. I encourage you to get it. This man is a great patriot, and notice how he's being censored. He's being censored because he has two of the most important pieces of information in the whole damn hearing. All right, Cash Patel, thank you, my friend. Thanks, Mark. I hope to talk to you soon. Have a great night. You too. God bless. You just learned more on this program than you have learned all day long in this hearing. In fact, on all the hearings. All of them. This is what we mean by exculpatory testimony and evidence. This is what we mean by other witnesses. This is what we mean by having opposition who can challenge witnesses. Every one of these witnesses coming in for this committee is being coronated. Coronated. And that's not the way the system is supposed to work, is it? And now we know what she said about that Secret Service vehicle. If it wasn't an intentional lie, it was an intentional misstatement. That's what she said she heard. And this committee, to put this out, it was clearly hearsay. Maybe double hearsay. But as soon as they didn't ask those agents to testify, that's why I told a friend of mine at Fox, then smell right. Because why would you go to her and hearsay who heard something? Why would you go to her versus the source? Because the source won't tell them what they want. Because they're liars on this committee. They are affirmative liars. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. 
Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest, I was nervous at first thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. I would encourage Kevin McCarthy, next time he's on this program, I will suggest it, to put out a, uh, a protective order or request to this committee and to the Speaker of the House. So when the Republicans, God willing, if you folks make certain of it, take control of the House of Representatives, they can then go through all the information gathered by this committee. All their texts, all their emails, all their communications with Pelosi and the press. As well as all the evidence that they collected so they can go through it to see if in fact this committee provided that information to the American people with integrity and honesty because it's clear they're not and so I would encourage the Republican leadership in the House of Representatives right now to put out a specific letter to Mr. Thompson and to Dizzy Lizzie Cheney and to the Speaker of the House and to anybody else that needs to be on this letter do not destroy anything, hard copy, electronic, of any kind, of any sort. And then he ought to have a special group of investigators under certain trusted members of the Republican part of the House to go through it all and make a determination. And then write the final report on this committee. I will be on Hannity tonight. At 9.35 p.m. Eastern Time, I hope you'll watch. For the one station that's leaving us for local New York election coverage, the, the polls close at 9 p.m. I encourage you to go out and vote. Republicans, I've endorsed Lee Zeldin. I think he can actually become governor. And those of you in the New York area who want to continue listening to the program, you can listen online. You can go to the Mark Levin app. You can go to the iHeart app. Satellite radio and the podcast. We have a million ways to listen to the program. I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government and they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read the secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution, against all freedom-loving Americans. So you need to read The War on Cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492. 
1-800-630-1492 or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from, from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. You know what? I should have gone to calls earlier here, Mr. Producer. I have a lot to say, but uh, give me a caller. By the way, we have Christy Nome as our guest in about 15 minutes, the wonderful governor of South Dakota. Yes, sir. WTRW, our great affiliate, Jim in Scranton, Pennsylvania, the so-called birthplace of uh, Joe Robinette, Joseph Robinette Biden, but we know he was dropped here from a UFO. How are you, sir? Yeah, they got his, they got his name all over the uh, highway signs, so it just disgusts me over here. Oh, you got a lot of highway signs? What was, it was like four or five years old when they left. I mean, the guy never really returned, you know? Yeah, ten years old he was when he left, and they, they changed the... Instead of the Central Scram Expressway, now it's called the President Biden Expressway, and then they changed the, uh, the name of a major street, and it's not called Spruce Street no more. It's called Biden Street. Oh, good Lord. It probably has a dead end. All right, how may I help yeah, you? Yes, yeah, so I just want to say that even if Nancy Pelosi accepted them 20000 she would have used that against Trump, because she would probably say that he's only calling out 20000 because once they're on, on the Capitol grounds, he was going to use them 20000 to help him take over the government to stop the election. But I, think a, it's a, I think it's actually a serious question to find out why she, uh, why, why her maladministration, her affirmative failure, uh, despite the fact that there was intelligence information that the executive branch have, and in fact that they shared... Uh, probably that information as a prelude to offering up to 20,000 guardsmen why she turned it down. I think this is a very important question, and she won't answer the question, and they're not going to ask her the question. Yeah. Wouldn't you like to know why? Yeah. Would you, like to, would, you, would you like to see her text messages and emails? Yeah, she should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. All right. Thank you for your call, sir. How about we step up our game here with the calls? Just a touch. Who's next? XM Satellite Glenn in Phoenix, Arizona. How are you, Glenn? Hey, Mark. Hey, brother. I'm doing well, brother. So I'm going right. to... Yeah. You let in today. You let in with uh, the immigration issue with the 50 people that died over there in Texas. And yes. what I've, my grandma's been saying this. My grandma's deceased, actually, but... She's been saying this since the early 90s. I'm from, I'm Latino, from Southern California. And yes, she used sir. to talk about, she used to sell at the swap meets, and she used to say, why isn't ICE and the immigration over here at the swap meets? She'd get pissed and she'd be upset. 
You know, mm-hmm. my grandpa was a World War II veteran. When he got back from World War II, they had family still in Mexico. And my mm-hmm. grandma and my grandpa would sponsor family members, and there was two rules they had. One, you learn English. Second, you got a job. My grandma and grandpa, my grandma, grandpa were the most patriotic people I knew. The Democrats don't give a damn about us. They only care about us. Watch your language. Yeah, sorry about Go that. Go ahead. Watch so your language. What happened... The first, the first two years when Obama was president, what did they do? They didn't need a single Republican vote for Obamacare. They could have did comprehensive immigration. That's how you, exactly how the Latinos should know now that they don't give a damn about us. They play political football with us, like Lucy holds the football out for Charlie. And when we get close, they pull it out, Mark. I mm-hmm. hope and I pray to God that this is a turning point. Tuesday, or I take that back last week when Myra Flores won in Texas. I yep. hope and I pray that we're starting to finally wake up, brother. If my grandma was alive right now, she would be, she would be, she would love the Myra Flores perspective of the conservative side. They were actually Democrat, by the way, my grandma and grandpa, but they were the old Kennedy yeah. Democrats, the conservative right. Democrats. They're long not gone anymore, brother. They're no, long around. gone. And I'll tell you this. If Hispanic Americans start voting Republican, we will crush the Democrat Party. Their entire race politics will be over. It'll be over. This is all they have. This is it. An abortion. Can you imagine being the party of Partial birth abortion, and as I speak today, we're listened to here by millions and millions of people, and that includes people in the media and so forth. They will not ask questions of these politicians about where they would draw the line on abortion, because most of them won't. Thank you for your call. In fact, Mr. Bruce, where's that Stacey Abrams? Uh, she's asked by, believe it or not, Jake Tapper. Listen to this, folks. Stacey Abrams on CNN Sunday. Cut to go. Do you think the government should play any role in restricting abortion? As governor, what restrictions would you be willing to support in Georgia, if any? My first responsibility is to protect the life and the welfare of the women in this state and to make it safe for them to make medical choices. Those medical choices should not be governed by someone's religious or ideological convictions. All right, so she doesn't answer it, and I, I've been hard on old Jake, so uh, it's a good question, Jake. It's a real journalist question. He wants to know what restrictions. She provides none. None. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, so to speak, the Achilles heel of the Democrat Party. All you Republicans, all you Republicans, listening to me on Capitol Hill, take note. This is what they cannot defend. They are against science. They are against babies. They believe in aborting a human baby right before birth. That was their position in the Senate, as I've explained over and over again. This is what they believe. Overwhelmingly, the American people reject this. Two-thirds to three-fourths of the population, depending on the survey and the poll, reject this. Reject it. So it's very, very important you keep this in mind. 
They cannot defend it on the science. They cannot defend it as a choice. They cannot play language games and word games. It's true. And she will not, she will not, Stacey Abrams, tell you that there's any limits. Hillary Clinton basically called Clarence Thomas an angry black man. Did she not, Mr. Producer? Pretty much that's what she said. Hillary Clinton has been a cancer on the tuchus of the body politic now for a long, long time. For a long, long time. But nonetheless, there she is. And she gets these softball interviews like by CBS This Morning, Gail King. Cut three, go. Justice Thomas has sort of floated that out there about contraceptive rights, yes. contraception, and about same-sex marriage. Actually, he did not, as I've had to explain this. God, it's, it's, it's exhausting. It's frustrating. Clarence Thomas said substantive due process should not be used by the court as a tool to make political rulings. Liberal rulings. Instead, he said we should look at other parts of the Constitution if they exist to find justifications for these so-called privacy rights. Now, it's funny in a sick way to hear the Democrats talk about privacy rights when they support the surveillance state. They do. Uh, When they're looking over your shoulder at who you associate with, at your speech. They don't really believe in privacy rights, do they? Anyway, go ahead. Other justices have pushed back to say, no, he's really sort of on his own with that. Well, don't he, believe that? Well, he may be on his own, but he's signaling, as he often did. You know, people, I went to law school with him. Mm-hmm. He's been a person of grievance for as long as I've known him. Resentment, grievance, anger. And he has signaled uh, in the past to lower courts, to state legislatures, to find cases. Right, that's enough. She, uh, she says of Clarence Thomas, resentment, grievance, anger. An angry black man. That's what she said. There'll be no pushback. But I want you folks to know, I'm not close friends with Clarence Thomas, but I've been in social settings with him from time to time. He is a happy man. He's a jovial man. He's an engaging man. He's a very, very decent and kind man. It's just like everything else these bastards do on the left. They lie, they cheat, and they bastardize because they're bastards. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Governor Christine Nome has been everywhere, but truth is, you haven't been anywhere until you've been on this show. Governor Nome, how are you? <laughs> that is so true, Mark. Thank you so much for inviting me to be with you. I have it finally a, arrived. You have arrived. It is a pleasure. You know, as I read your book, I never lived in the Midwest or where you lived. What do you what do you call the Northern Plains? I guess. Um, 
You know, I guess but, we do. Uh, some people yeah. still, you know, pretty much the Midwest, and some people really think we are the American West. You know, it's yeah. uh, South Dakota really is divided by the Missouri River, and it's almost like two different cultures when you cross that river in the middle of our state. It's yeah. farmland, Minnesota-like. On the east half, you cross that river, and you're in cowboy country. So it's a, it's a good mix of, of two different cultures that are filled with fantastic people. But I really felt like I missed out. You know, I'm 64. I grew up in Philadelphia. Don't get me wrong. I, I loved my, my, my childhood and all the rest. But I've always wanted to travel to places like South Dakota. My wife and I have talked about this. You really have had a life. And I want to get to your father here in a second. It was a big, was a big part of your life and kind of sits on your mm-hmm. shoulder. But you've had a very fascinating life as a mother, as a farmer, as a politician and so forth. Do you ever look back on that? Well, your whole book does, but do you ever at night kind of just look back at it? Well, Mark, I can still get you on a horse. We can teach you how to no, ride. No, that's not happening. No, you. but thank you. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Just yeah. checking. You know, I, I, I don't until I start telling people a story of something that happened in my childhood and they kind of look at me and laugh and say, that is, you know, so amazing. You have to write that down. In fact, that's kind of how this book started was I went on a fishing trip and Charlie Hurt was there and I told him a couple stories and he said, this is fantastic. You've got to write these down. And so I think it was a special way to grow up. The more and more that I talk to other people or, or, you know, get to know people from around the country, I guess I never knew how unique it was until I start realizing that not everybody had the chance to grow up like I did. Now, tell us about your father, who was very central to your life. Well, he was a cowboy. Um, He was tough. Um, He was uh, expected his children to be excellent. He was very demanding, but also we knew that he loved us. And, you know, all we did really was work. He was the hardest worker I ever knew. And even when we got done with work, um, you know, he would say immediately, Christy, go get the horses, put them in the trailer. We're going hunting. And then we went on hunting trips. So we were always together. And, uh, and I, when I grew up, I wanted to be just like him. Every day was an adventure. You know, there was nothing that he wouldn't try to do or accomplish and was always driven to do more. But he was tough. Your grandmother was tough. Your whole family was tough on you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was, you know, in fact, there were several times in the book there where I talk about where we ran into challenges, and he had a very, um, he was a very quick decision maker, um, very firm in his beliefs, and, you know, he was in charge, and as I grew up, and I kind of had his exact same personality, in fact, my my brother Rob will describe it as, he'll say, people will ask what dad was like, and he'll say, well, I'll just spend a day with Christy, and you'll find out, Um so we were a lot alike, which meant I really wanted to be him when I grew up. But also when both of us had our mindset, you know, there was times that that uh, we would argue a bit, too. Now, you uh, you first got elected to the state legislature. Tell us how that came to pass. Well, you know, I um I was never interested in government or politics. That just wasn't something that our family did. You know, our politics were lived. Uh, we didn't, we didn't talk about them. And and so when I, you know, was in college and, 
and I was married already, and my dad was killed in an accident on our farm at the age of 49, and it changed everything for us. So we got hit with death taxes at that time, and we were farming about 10,000 acres, had a large cow-calf operation, several other businesses, and I ended up having to quit college and come home and becoming the general manager of all that, taking it over. And it was just within several months of dad passing away that I got a letter in the mail from the IRS that said, we owe death taxes, and um, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe we would have a tragedy in our family, and all of a sudden I owed the federal government hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I couldn't pay it. So ended up you know, not even be able to, being able to get a bank to finance it, got a loan from a couple of wealthy farmers who took pity on a young woman, and it took me 10 years to pay off those taxes. But that's what got me involved in government and politics was, you know, I dad was had raised us kids to not complain about things. We fix them. You don't complain, you fix them. And so I decided that if I was going to be complaining about laws and government, then maybe I should be willing to run for the legislature and be a contributor. So I did that in 2006, and it was very strange for our family to do something like that. But but boy, our legislative session's only 40 days long a year. Everybody else that's in the legislature is a citizen, it's not their career, and I figured I could find time to do it. And then uh, Congress, how did that come to pass? <laughs> well, Mark, maybe you remember back um, in 2000 and, well, I don't know, um, mm. I'd say 2010 when I first ran for Congress, I we were represented in the House by a blue dog Democrat. South Dakota has one member of the House that runs statewide. And it was Stephanie Hersa Sandlin, and she had been talking about challenging John Thune for his U.S. Senate race. And, of course, Thune was interested in beating her before she came after him. So he'd been trying to recruit people to challenge her that might have a chance at winning the House seat before he would face a stiff challenge from her in the future. So after two years of sending people to talk to me and my husband and try to recruit us, finally we decided to run for Congress uh, just so— that I said to my husband, if we lose, then maybe they'll leave us alone and won't, won't bother <laughs> us anymore because she was very popular. She had about a 70% approval rating in the state. She hadn't voted mm-hmm. for Obamacare. She hadn't voted for the stimulus package. She had just voted for Nancy Pelosi, and uh, but that was enough. I talked about Nancy a lot and about the Democrat agenda, and we ended up winning that race by five points. But I couldn't believe it when I ended up in Washington, D.C., and then what happens we're going to have uh we're going to have governor Nome on for another segment after the bottom of the hour the book is not my first rodeo lessons from the heartland it's a fantastic book quite an accomplished lady not my first rodeo lessons from the heartland governor christy Nome. you can get it at amazon.com and it's on all my social platforms Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, house plants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation 
forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals, and listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN in at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit fastgrowingtrees.com for details. The book, Not My First Rodeo, Lessons from the Heartland, Governor Christy Nome. All right. Now, the House of Representatives in South Dakota, in many ways, is bigger than the Senate. As you point out, there's one member of the House for the whole state and two senators for the whole state. And you have some powerful senators in place there, and you eventually move up from the House to the Senate. Tell us how that happened. Well, I didn't run for the Senate. Actually, I ran for governor. So I, I served oh, I apologize. the House. Yep. I apologize. No, you're yep. right. Um, we, uh, you know, I was in Congress and had served there for four terms, had the chance to work on tax reform, which I was passionate about ever since dad passing away and had worked on tax policy at the state level and, and then was thrilled when President Trump came in. And that was something that was his priority as well. So getting that accomplished, I really started evaluating returning back home and looking at the governor's race because governors are CEOs. You know, governors can set an agenda and make decisions every day that impacts people, and that fit my personality a little bit better. And I wanted to be closer to home with my family and and businesses as well. So I ran for governor in 2018, had a very contentious primary um, against the attorney general, which the party did not unite afterwards on, and then ended up in a very tough general. In fact, most people think of South Dakota as a conservative state. And, you know, I would say it's, um, there's certainly more Republicans than anything else, but it's more populist. It's, yeah. you know, for instance, when I ran for governor, I only won that race by three points and it was against a Bernie Sanders guy. So, you know, South Dakota is never a given it's um, for conservative principles. People tend to vote for somebody they like and whoever talks a good talk. And, and that was a really, really tough race when I first won to be the first female governor of the And state. I do apologize for that. We've had so many senators on here, candidates for the Senate. I know, you know. I bet you have. But yeah, I will I've say this. McGovern came out of South Dakota, and he was there a long time. And, of course, Daschle mm-hmm. was there a long time. You're right, yeah. it's a popular, but so was North Dakota in many ways, you know, kind of a plain yeah. P-L-A-I-N-S state with, with populace. Now, all that said... Are you eyeballing the presidency at all? You don't have to announce here, obviously, but is this something that at least intrigues you? Well, no, I just think we're desperate for good leadership in this country. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm running for re-election in South Dakota uh, mm-hmm. for a second term as governor. I'm hoping people will trust me to do that. And, I, you know, I'm convinced President Trump is running. Uh, I think he will. I don't think anybody can beat him in a primary I do think he struggles in a general election, and he's going to have to figure out how to put together a team that builds confidence that can get him across mm-hmm. the finish line. So I, I do think there's probably, Mark, if we're honest, probably 40 to 50 Republicans that are going to think, I would be the best president ever. I, you know, I'm 
I'm not convinced it's me, but I also recognize that we've got a a big job ahead of us in this country, and we got to start having some strong leaders that understand where they come from and where how important defending our liberty really is. Because we saw it get crushed from state to state during COVID, and I watched Republicans and conservatives roll over and shut down businesses and beaches and and put in place mandates and you know that's that was a true test of the fortitude of someone who really what kind of a leader they are and and i'm just kind of done watching people be weak and of course you've you've been attacked because you are a conservative and um Mm -hmm. who would you look up to sort of a conservative woman a margaret thatcher somebody like that yeah yeah, I, I definitely do. I think she was a remarkable person. Um, I, she, you know, in fact, um, I think that people thought, you know, when they, when you're a strong woman, many times they don't think you have a, a heart, or many times they think you're polarizing or contentious, and that's just not mm-hmm. my nature. I don't believe it was Margaret's either. We just knew our own mind, and we're decision makers. And I think I, I would, you know, I would never compare myself to her because she was absolutely phenomenal but but i do think i can understand a little bit of how she maybe felt from time to time just because people were quite judgmental on her leadership style you see um what's going on in the congress in which you used to serve you see mm-hmm. pelosi with this committee you see the war on the supreme court uh, and all the court has done is upheld the constitution what mm-hmm. even when you were in Congress, did you really see anything like this before? You know, what's interesting, Mark, is is just the sensationalism of what the way they're they're talking. There's no responsibility to the language that they even use. What the Supreme Court did was fix a wrong decision they made almost fifty years ago and just return the decision back to the states. You know what they're what they're portraying this decision as isn't even close to reality. It is letting the states decide with elected officials that are hearing from the public what the laws are in their state. And so that is what is so remarkable to me. Yes, I did see this when I was in Congress. I knew when I was there just a few years ago that I served with probably 60 socialists in the House. Uh, They would tell me that behind closed doors or walking in hallways candidly, but they would have never admitted it publicly. They knew it would be political baggage. They knew it would be difficult for them to get reelected if people knew their true feelings and what was in their heart. And that's what I'm so surprised has changed so quickly, is that now they're boldly standing up, holding press conferences, embracing Marxism and socialism. And, and, you know, if that should ever shake anybody to their core and make them realize how quickly this country can be lost, um, boy, that's our reality today. So if anybody really thought that now was the time to step back, to not fight, that they were tired. I think a lot of good leaders right now are exhausted and and want to quit. I would tell them the exact opposite. Now would be the worst time to quit. Now is the time to really recognize that this country can change dramatically in just a very short period of time, and we have to stay in there if we're going to give our kids and grandkids the America we all have the chance to live in. The book is not my first rodeo, Lessons from the Heartland, Governor Christy Noem. This is not a political book, as you say on the back. This is a book about family. This is a book about how you grew up. This is a book about 
it's a wholesome book, isn't it? I mean, that you had many challenges and so forth, but it's a book where you read it and you say, you know what, I kind of like that lady. So that's a very good book. My goal was not to, uh, you know, create enemies, but to be honest. And I think a lot of people first heard of me during COVID and thought, well, who is this lady? She's brand new uh, and don't really know me and don't understand why I was making the decisions that I was making. And I, I felt that they would love South Dakota, would love to hear a little bit of this state that loves Mount Rushmore and our history and our mm-hmm. leaders, but also if they understood how I grew up, they might understand better where my value system comes from, how I made the decisions that I made, um, and understand that a little better going forward. Well, I wish you all the best. The book is not my first rodeo. Lessons from the Heartland. Governor Christy Nome. You can get it on Amazon.com. If you order it now, you'll get it tomorrow. It's fantastic. Or any major bookstore will have it. Amazon.com. We wish you all the best, Governor. No, thank you, Mark. Enjoyed visiting with you. You have a wonderful evening. You too. God bless. All right, folks. There you have it. I think we'll be hearing a lot about her in the future. She's very, very solid. And I think she's, well, she's presidential material. Let's be honest. We have several people out there who are presidential material. We really do. At some point, right? Everybody can't be president at the same time. By the way, I am going to be the moderator of two debates in Florida. Did you see that, Mr. Producer? We don't have to have these phony journalists, folks. I'm going to be the moderator for two Republican congressional uh, debates with various candidates that will be selected uh, by the governor's people and the Republican Party of Florida. I won't be getting involved in campaigning for them, although I could if I want, or promoting one over the other. I'm going to be an honest moderator, but questions will be asked that matter to people, not to Washington and the media. So we're going to give this a try. I honestly believe this is how presidential campaigns should be handled, and I'd be willing to do that, too. I mean, who better, after all? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, there's an article in front of me. We don't have enough time to go over it. But that's the point. It's by Daniel Greenfeld at Frontline. Where are the abortion insurrection hearings? Now, I printed this out, and it goes on for eight pages of the violence that's being committed across the United States. Across the United States. And almost no attention is being given to it. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez raved against the Supreme Court that's illegitimate, urging protesters to get into the streets. They have in L.A., in Phoenix, Tucson, in Portland. They have all over the country. In New York, Philadelphia. Insurrectionists. They threatened the legislature of Arizona. The Senate of Arizona could not convene. Oh, I'm sure there'll be hearings about that, ladies and gentlemen. And we remember where the hate and the rhetoric came from and come from. 
that Democrat Party leaders, whether they be in the press or whether they be in Washington, in the halls of Congress, or whether they be at the White House, I want to remind you that this fuse was lit by Pelosi and Schumer, by AOC, but they're not alone. Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd, as we pointed out last night, was urging AOC to push for the investigation of Supreme Court justices. Not all Supreme Court justices, just Supreme Court justices with whom Chuck Todd disagrees, he and his wife being Democrat activists. What else? Tuck Chod. Tuck Chod. Yeah, that's about right. Tuck Chod. He asked if they should be impeached for lying to members of the Senate. And AOC, of course, that ought to be pursued. And then we looked at the so-called lies. They weren't lies at all. They were in conformity with what radical left-wing nominees to the Supreme Court had said in the past. RBG. Yeah, LOL on that one. And Kagan. And Sotomayor. And all the others. Said exactly the same thing when it came to precedent. But it doesn't matter. You see, the media in America, ladies and gentlemen, are heavily responsible for the violence that's taking place in America. They absolutely are. Not only by what they report, but why they... what they silence... Where are the abortion insurrection hearings? They're being held with the hearings on the corruption in the Biden family. Where are those? They don't exist. What about the Democrat Party and their efforts to fix the election? Crookedly fix the election prior to 2020 with changing laws in states like Pennsylvania. Changing the processes in states like Wisconsin. There's no doubt about that. There's no question about that. Much like the Florida Supreme Court. Where are those hearings? There aren't any. Where are those witnesses? There aren't any. Where are those subpoenas? There aren't any. Chuck Todd and AOC talk about the U.S. Supreme Court and only the originalists on the court, of course. They don't talk about the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. They like that court. Four out of seven elected Democrats who twisted and changed, modified the election laws in Pennsylvania. Then you hear these legal analysts. Every legal analyst on TV should resign. Every damn one of them. They're not worth a damn thing. All day today, they were telling us about this hearing that took place. How this credible witness had taken down Trump. And there is. What's his name? The guy again, uh, what's his name, Weisenheimer? Oh, Saul Weisenheimer. Yeah. There's no question about this. Trump is culpable in a seditious conspiracy. Is this guy an idiot? Turns out Cass Hutchison, when she talked about what happened in the car that drives the president, was wrong. The Secret Service agent as well as the driver, are both prepared to testify under oath publicly that Trump did not assault them. When a story sounds preposterous, it is preposterous. 
Like the dossier. When it sounds preposterous, it is preposterous. But why should all these legal analysts resign or be fired? Because you cannot have devastating testimony. Explosive testimony. Unbelievable testimony. A a criminal predicate is set. When you only hear from the one side, and the one side is corrupt. It's corrupt. You legal analysts need to get your act together. Or get the hell off television and misleading the American people. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel. Our trucker friends, our friends in Ukraine. I want to talk about that a bit tomorrow. I'll see you on Hannity literally in 35 minutes. Don't miss it. God bless each and every one of you. 